Well, alright. I said we're gonna have a good day. Hey. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. RISE is a podcast that highlights how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day. All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay, shouldn't come as a surprise. Cause every morning we will rise. Okay, well, welcome Lindsay Asesek to our rise podcast today audra and i are so excited to get the opportunity to speak with you and i'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself where did you grow up how did you find yourself as director of the award-winning wine program at 610 magnolia and co-founder managing director and mentor of the lee initiative awesome thank you all so much for having me i'm really excited to talk to you this morning So a little bit about myself. Um, I have been in the restaurant industry for over 20 years. That is not something that I ever believed in my life that I would be saying. I started off, you know, in the back of the house, uh, moved to the front of the house. I've also been a wine director. I have worked in distribution and farming. Um, I've pretty much worked in every single sector of the restaurant industry that's possible. (laughs) I was actually... um, you know, in my life plan, I was like, well, I can do this until I decide to have kids. And it doesn't, it doesn't really work whenever you have children to work these hours. And so, um, I do have two children who are five and seven years old. And I was working at Decca restaurant with chef Annie Petrie, who is one of my mentors. Whenever my husband and I decided to have our first child and I will never forget going to her and saying, Hey, so I'm pregnant. I'm probably not going to be able to do this for very much longer. You know, I know it's, this restaurant is not really, or this industry is not super conducive to parenting. And I was met with, you know, why we can make accommodations for you. What do you need to make this work? I find, you know, I feel extremely fortunate um, because of that relationship. I had a very long extended maternity leave. I was always met with accommodations for you know, just being pregnant in the workplace. And, you know, then whenever I had my children, everyone was super accommodating to my new schedule. My kids have both spent extensive time in restaurants. And yeah, you know, after deciding to leave DECA, I met Chef Lee and I was met with the same accommodations for being a parent in the industry. And here I am today. (laughs) That's great. So, Can you like tell us a little bit more about the Lee initiative? You know, I think we hear a lot about Chef Lee's restaurants and now I I feel like I'm reading more and more about the the Lee initiative and it's become something that's to be celebrated and written about. And uh, for our viewers who maybe don't know much about it, could you give us a little bit more information about why it was started? Yeah. So I had been working with Chef Lee for about two years whenever the Me Too movement started to hit our industry really hard. Like I said, this was, 
you know, Chef Lee and I both have families. We're both raising children in this industry. And I will never forget sitting in the office um, as all of the news was breaking. And we were just having this conversation about how, you know, for every bad chef, there are an army of good ones behind them. And this was an industry that we loved and we wanted to leave it in a better place than where we found it. And so that was in November of 2017. Like crazy restaurant people, we were like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to hit the ground running. So we had thrown around a million different ideas for how we could help get more women into leadership um, and just make a safer environment for women in this industry. And we landed upon a mentorship program because both of us had worked for really incredible mentors and we, we found success in this industry because of them. So we worked tirelessly through the holidays. And by January of 2018, we were a 501c3. And then by March, we had announced our first class of women chef mentees. It was a very small and lovely nonprofit. We, you know, partnered women with mentors all across the country. We took them to cook at the James Beard house. They made ice cream with Jenny. Really just tried to help get them partnered with women who had risen the ranks. They had all started as line cooks. Now all of them owned multiple restaurants. They were James Beard award-winning cookbook authors, you know, had incredible product lines. And we had, I think we were in our third class of mentees um, and COVID happened. So Chef Lee and I looked at each other and said, okay, here's like the next big catastrophe in our industry. What are we going to do to help? And so we looked around at what resources we had. We had a lot of people who didn't want to lose their job and we had a lot of food. We had fed TSA workers during a government shutdown. So we had a loose blueprint on how to do direct aid feeding. Restaurants had shut down the very next day. We opened a relief kitchen out of 610 Magnolia. We staffed it with our, you know, the employees of 610. We had some mentees that were in town that helped. We had no idea what to expect. And we put a post up on Instagram and just opened the doors at four o'clock to see what would happen. We were out of food in an hour and we caused an entire traffic jam. <laughs> so we knew at that point that this was really needed. We actually turned my wine cellar into a store that was stocking diapers, formula, wipes, paper towels, things that people couldn't find. Um, the supply chain was pretty much broken at that point already. But we were able to purchase all of those things through our suppliers. So we had all of those things. So literally people would drive up and hand us a little piece of paper saying what they needed. And then we would give them hot meals for their family. We're extremely fortunate that one of our partners, Makers Mark, who's been with us since the very beginning, was there to see it. One of the cool things about working with makers is they don't just write you a check and walk away. They always show up as boots on the ground. So when they saw what was happening at 610, they said, this, this is not a Kentucky problem. This is literally happening everywhere in the country. If we can find you funding, will you open these in other cities? We, of course, said yes. And at the end of two weeks, we, ha we were open in 21 cities across the country. That is absolutely incredible, Lindsay. I'm curious about the, a little more about the impact programs. There's a noticeable focus on the impact programs, the impact they actually have on participants and the greater community. How did you guys go about creating the program 
with impact and sustainability in mind? Yeah. So we're, we're not nonprofit people. We are now, but <laughs> we're restaurant people. So every single program that we have, I'm sure that you know that Lee actually stands for Let's Empower Employment. Um, it is also Chef Lee's name. But so when we go to create programs, we go to our partners in the restaurant industry and we ask them what they need. What can we do to help? What will help you be more sustainable? And so, you know, with the direct aid feeding, of course, you know, we thought it was going to last for two weeks. It was, you know, almost a year that we had these kitchens open. But whenever we started to see restaurants reopen, we went to our partners and said, you know, what do you need? What's going to help? Um, that's when the reboot program was born. So with the reboot program, all of our suppliers, you know, what sets independent restaurants apart from like chain restaurants is the products that they use. They work with small sustainable farms and artisans in their region, and they help to support that entire local economy. Those products are more expensive. And so when the restaurants were going to reopen and they had been closed for almost a year, they were all really concerned about cost and they were really concerned that they couldn't keep these relationships up. And so what we did is we went to our funding partners and said, this is what's going on. Can you help us seed these farms? And so we were able to infuse $1.5 million into local farms and artisans to create credits for restaurants to order at no cost to them as they reopened to make sure that they could still use these products that they were proud of, but they could also get back on their feet. The McAtee Kitchen, which was started, um, kind of happened the same way. Our city was going through so much trauma with Breonna Taylor and the protests. And so we went to a healing ceremony and we said, what can we do to help? What would help the community right now? The best thing that we know how to do is to feed people. And so we were able to partner with Nikki, Chef Nakia Rhodes, who was a first year mentee. We had Milkwood, which was closed down and right downtown. Chef Nakia runs a culinary program at Iroquois. So she had all of these students who had missed out on an entire year of hands-on culinary training. And so we funded that kitchen to do nothing but do culinary education out of Milkwood. And we would drop off, I think we were at 600 meals per day to community members that needed it. And so we did that in the name of David McAtee um, because he was a chef who worked with Volunteers of America and always wanted to support and feed his community. So we knew that that would help heal. So really every program that we do has that focus. We go to people and say, what can we do to help and how can we support you? Lindsay, I think that is so powerful. And, you know, when we first um, thought about asking you to be on our show, the focus really was, you know, around hospitality. And I think, you know, with the Lee that we think about restaurants and like feeding people, but what is so interesting about the work that y'all have done, especially over the past um few years is that, you know, your business of hospitality has kind of turned into this business of solving problems. And you're using that to approach social issues in the industry, but also just in the community. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's really interesting that you all have put your customers first and in restaurants and then also just in, in the communities that you're serving. And it sounds like that's really informed um, your work in the Lee initiative. Um, I want to focus a little bit more about 
the Women Culinary and Spirits program, um, because I think that, you know, when you're thinking about customer needs, you know, that's, and, and community service needs, um, that's something that has been a really um, interesting initiative where you really notice that there's a void in female leadership in the restaurant industry, and you you all created this program where you bring these qualified women, like you mentioned, you know, these James Beard uh, cookbook authors and women who have gone from line cooks to being really famous um, to provide mentorship. So can you explain how female mentorship from other industry leaders plays a role in that program? Because I think, you know, the value, you've mentioned your own mentors, and I think the value of mentorship is something that is universal, whether or not you're in, you know, the hospitality industry or in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, a lot of this started with the Me Too movement and we realized like 90% of these problems could be solved if there were more women in leadership. And so for us, you know, I, you know, like I said, I had a really incredible mentor who supported me and is the only reason that I'm still in this industry. And I, I attribute a lot of the success that I've had to her. And so when we, you know, landed on mentorship for the Women in Culinary and Spirits program, one of the coolest things that happened was one, any chef that we went to, like I was terrified to call Nina Compton and say like, okay, I have this small nonprofit. Will you be a mentor? <laughs> no, no one ever said no. Like our lineup of mentors are these incredibly famous chefs who without hesitation have given their time to our mentees. One really awesome thing, like when we started, we had no idea. One thing with the Lee initiative is no one ever leaves the program. So all of our mentors, you know, we asked them to commit a year to working with these chefs. You know, I had dinner last night with one of our first classes of mentee, first class mentees. And she said, Oh yeah, I just talked to my mentor last night, Jen Lewis. All of our mentors continue to check up on them for years. No one ever leaves. Like they completely support them. You know, we have a woman who launched her own restaurant from class two. You know, she's like the first person that I called was my mentor. She looked over every contract for me. She helped me negotiate my lease. Um, so I think, you know, not only are we providing mentorship, but we've built this incredible community that just continues to support one another. You know, we now have 21 mentees that have gone through the program and 17 mentors. We have this ridiculous group chat <laughs> that is constantly going off, which if any, you know, everything from like, do you know where I can buy knives that are to support another woman owned business to, oh, I'm signing my first lease for a restaurant. Like what attorney do you recommend that I use? So it's been this really incredible thing to see the community that's been built through this. Lindsay, something else that I thought was really powerful was the partnership between the Lee Initiative and the Southern Restaurants for Racial Justice. With this partnership, it seems, from what I understand of it, it seems that um, it came together to benefit the Black communities in the South, specifically Black-owned restaurants. Can you tell us a little bit more about this partnership and the resulting impact? Yeah. So Southern Restaurants for Racial Justice was a very small collective of mostly women who were wanted to support black owned restaurants in the South. Um, they were a very small organization and they were kind of, they were doing things like bake sales um, across the country to raise money. 
These were all chefs that we loved and supported. And so we reached out to see how we could help. And we were already a nonprofit. So we started off very small and agreed to be their fiscal sponsor um, so that people could make tax deductible donations. So, and just to, like, to be clear, the reason that we wanted to do this and support this is because we saw so many restaurants closing across the country during COVID. And a lot of Black-owned restaurants were disproportionately affected. We sat around and we're like, okay, we don't want to come out of COVID and only have like fine dining restaurants owned by wealth, wealthy restaurateurs. These restaurants have contributed so much to the culinary landscape. We don't want to see them go away. Um, none of us want to visit, you know, Arkansas and not have Jones Barbecue to go and visit. It's one of the oldest independently owned restaurants in this country. And they've been owned by the same family for four generations. We are very fortunate that we actually formed a partnership with Heinz Ketchup. And Heinz Ketchup came out to support this program. They funded over a million dollars for us to do grants for these restaurants. So we had an application process. We asked, you know, we had a huge advisory panel and we asked historic restaurants across the country that were black owned to submit a very simple form about what we could do to help them. And so we were able to give out million dollar, you know, a million dollars in grants ranging from $25,000 to $40,000 just to help them get back on their feet and make sure that they survived this last year. Of course, that money is not going to solve all the problems, but we felt like it would help. And then through Heinz, we were also able to do this incredible podcast series called The Black Kitchen, which tells the stories of each of these restaurants. Um, just to help, you know, drive people to them, remind people that they exist. Um, you know, I, if I'm traveling through the South, I'm always going to pop on, you know, the Black Kitchen Initiative and see like what restaurants are along my way and make sure that I go and support them. I think that is absolutely amazing. And I think that, um, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you sit down to eat, you're um, not only enjoying the atmosphere, but also the culture um, that surrounds that restaurant. And so it seems like this, this partnership, which has been able to give back to so many small, smaller businesses has also perhaps contributed to the preservation of culinary culture, uh, different, uh, different cultures, different restaurants throughout the country. I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so I learned so much through this program. And if you, if you do have a chance to listen to the Black Kitchen Initiative podcast, like I learned so many incredible stories um, about these restaurants. Like I had no idea that Jones Barbecue was in the original Green Book and it's still operating under the same family, you know, and their stories are just incredible. Um, and I feel so fortunate to get to learn about them and know them. And hopefully one day, whenever it's a little easier to travel, visit all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's making me hungry just um, thinking about yeah. it. I'm a big fan of barbecue. <laughs> and, you know, I think you, you said something that really resonates with me and I think probably um, with Emily because we, we both, you know, are these just big believers in lifelong learning. But I, I think that the stories that go along with these restaurants are so interesting and there's so much value in honoring that. Um, so I love that, you know, you're protecting not only the viability of the business, but also um, the, the cultures that surround that in different parts of the country. It's amazing. 
You, in your talk, have, have mentioned so many different partnerships that the Lee Initiative has had, particularly during COVID, you know, with Hans or Maker's Mark or different organizations that have helped really kind of fuel uh, your efforts to serve the community. How do you go about identifying partnerships that align uh, with your mission? So, you know, with Maker's Mark, you all uh, developed a special release bourbon that was created by the community for the community. But how do you, how do you, you know, just say to yourself, okay, this is, this is an organization that we want to par- partner with because they are going to help further our impact and align with our, our values. Yeah. So the Lee initiative is incredibly fortunate and one of like, our partnerships are part of like what restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> <after> <laughs> all of this chaos. You know, with Maker's Mark, like I said, they've been our partners since the beginning. Maker's Mark, most people don't know, uh, or maybe they do, but Maker's Mark, you know, the leadership at Maker's has always been women run. But Margie Samuels, who was, you know, one of the founders of Maker's Mark was actually, she designed the bottle. She did the labeling. Like she's, she's actually responsible for why Maker's Mark is the brand that it is today. And so they signed on in the very beginning, but they also have never stopped supporting us. So whenever the pandemic happened, you know, I called them and I said, can you help me open this one relief center? And I was like, they're like, sure. And I was like, I need like $5,000. You know, when they saw what was happening, they scraped their marketing budget for on-premise events all across the country. And, you know, they funded over a million, actually, I think they funded over $2 million into those relief efforts to support the community. Audi reached out to us. Like I never in a million years dreamt that we would have Audi as a partner, but they also saw what was happening in the restaurant industry and they knew that we were doing all these relief efforts. And when they first called, I was like, I I don't know what I could possibly need from you. And then a week later, I realized like we were moving food from food banks to restaurants. We were taking meals out into the community to deliver them. And so I called them and they were like, it's like, you know how you offered to help? Like, could you send us vehicles? Because we all have these tidy cars. And they sent a fleet of 30 Q7s all across the country, which we now know you can fit 880 pounds of food in um, to support <laughs> oh our God, that's awesome. <laughs> to support our efforts. And Audi is, you know, their big focus has always been sustainability. So after doing that, they also seeded into our farm reboot program and let us use these beautiful luxury cars to take food from farms to restaurants to help bridge the transportation gap and support them. You know, Heinz Ketchup wanted to support black owned businesses and preserve black culture. They reached out to us and, you know, gave us a million dollar grant to support these programs. And so we've been super fortunate that most of our partnerships have been people that have reached out to us in the same way that we reached out to the restaurant community to say, what can we do to help and how, how can we support the work that you're doing? That's absolutely phenomenal. I think that, you know, the fact that the companies are reaching out to you means that they see the value in what the Lee Initiative is doing. I think it's also impressive that your press coverage is all over the board. Um, there is, you've mentioned a little bit about the national reach that the program has as far as who, who it supports, but also, you know, the coverage, as I mentioned, um, from 
from groups like Food and Wine and Travel and Leisure to Sports Illustrated and Vanity Fair and even Forbes and Fortune. These are just a few of, <laughs> of the um, groups that have, have covered the work that you're doing. Why do you think the Lee Initiative has been so successful in reaching such a wide audience? I mean, particularly audiences outside of what normally would talk about, you know, food and the spirits world. Yeah. So one thing that during COVID, especially that I think happened was people re like restaurants and people that work in restaurants are really important to everyone. I talked to so many people during the pandemic where it was, what is the thing that you missed most? Going out to restaurants, going out and gathering with people around food. And so restaurants, every single person eats and every single person eats out. And so especially when we started to do these relief efforts and so many people were interested in how they could help, how they could get the word out, what story could they tell? It made me realize like every person has, you know, a favorite like fine dining restaurant that they celebrate their anniversary at. They also have a favorite pizza place where they go every Sunday with their kid. Every, you know, restaurants touch every single person in the community. And so, you know, our, our industry was hit so hard during the pandemic. It was, you know, I think people really wanted to know how they could help and who was helping, you know, of all the press coverage that we got, I think like the most like touching to me was like this tiny little blip in the New York times about the bright spot for the week just about someone doing something. And it was about the Lee Initiative doing something positive for the industry. And I think people just like, we realized how much people really care about the people that make restaurants work. I think that speaks volumes about you all and, and all the work that you've done. And we've spent so much time talking about what you've done, Lindsay, with the Lee Initiative. But I um, was emailing with Carlos, who also works with you, and said, you know, I, I just have, like, so much interest in Lindsay herself because you you yourself do all these amazing things. And so I was like, I don't even know where to begin if we want to talk about the Lee Initiative or just Lindsay and all of her knowledge. Um, and so I want to spend the last few minutes just kind of focusing on you and where you find inspiration for your work. I mean, you, you run – you know, all these programs within the Lee Initiative, which are so impactful and powerful, but you also, you know, have so much knowledge about the wine and food industry. And I'd love to hear where you get inspiration um, for your work and also just for fun, um, what your favorite wine and dinner pairing is. And I'll tell you, my favorite wine and dinner pairing, it's a chili cheese dog and rosé. So the bar is set very low. Um, for <laughs> That's amazing. I, I actually love that pairing too. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> no, definitely. So at 610, we actually, one of my favorite pairings I've ever done is it's, it sound like we had what literally tasted like a very fancy Reuben. It was like a beef tongue like hoe cake situation, but essentially it tasted just like a Reuben or we paired it with this sparkling rosé and it was one of my favorite pairings mm. in the world. So yes, no, chili, chili cheese dog and rosé is perfect. For me and my work and inspiration, one, I'm, I've literally always been obsessed with food and wine. Um, it's been my passion since I was a small child. 
you know, and I always just want to continue to eat out, to learn, to learn from other people, um, experiment with things. You know, I think I told you I'm here in Asheville, North Carolina, eating my way through the whole city <laughs> um, and doing that with some of the mentees and also one of my mentors, which has been incredible. My favorite, if you actually want to know my legit favorite wine pairing in the world, every year for my birthday, I host a giant party where I fry chicken in a deep fryer in my backyard and pair it with champagne. Fried chicken and champagne is my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) So it doesn't have to be fancy to be delicious. But yeah, and then in our nonprofit work, like I said, it, I mean, it really stands for Let's Empower Employment. I've been in this industry. I'm raising my family in this industry. And every single thing that I do is based around just the idea that I want this industry to be better when I leave it than where I found it. And I, I think everything from our mentorship programs to our feeding programs, you know, and our social justice programs are trying to achieve that. And I think that it makes it more, you know, everyone knows there's a huge labor shortage in the restaurant industry. Well, for a long time, people didn't feel supported in the restaurant industry. And I think especially, you know, the restaurant industry is a lot of people's first job. And I think if they're treated poorly or they don't see people trying to make it better, they don't come back to it later in life. You know, they don't make this a career goal. So I think, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but the more, more we can see these tiny changes within the industry, you know, I think it'll be more attractive. And like, you know, I hope that more women who start on the line and think, oh, I actually want to be a chef. Like this is what I want to do and can see a clear path to leadership and can see a clear path to this being a sustainable career for them. Lindsay, we end each one of our podcasts with some rapid fire questions so I wanted to start off with question number one. What is your <laughs> what is your favorite leadership quote or book? And this is just off the top of your head. I mean, I've obviously read Dare to Lead like everyone else in the world. <laughs> we all love Brene Brown. Who does it? We all love Brene Brown. But honestly, too, like I I've loved that this, you know, focus recently and people in leadership, like, you know, of course everyone loves Michelle Obama, but I love that all of her quotes come around or, you know, seem to center around like, are you making positive change? Are you being kind? You know, are you improving the life of someone today? And I think, you know, for me, I really focus on leaders that do that. I I'm, you know, Every single thing that I do, I want to make sure to ask myself this question, you know, is this kind and is this improving the world in some way? I love that. Our second question is, what is one thing on your wish list related to healthcare? You know, if you could change one thing or discover one thing around healthcare delivery, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people, I wish that access to healthcare was you know, more across the board. <laughs> I wish that we all had access to the same healthcare. I actually recently this week decided that I really hate the entire referral process. Like I had an ear infection and I really needed to see an ENT, but I had to go to another doctor first and then wait for a referral. <laughs> it's like go to their doctor and I was just like, this is like, can't I just go to the person that does this? <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I mean, all of that centers around just access to healthcare for everyone. 
Okay, Lindsay, last question. You have given us multiple examples about how you value lifelong learning, and Audra and I also value lifelong learning. If you could learn anything new, though, what would it be? I have an obsession with learning how to cure ham. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) So one, like Kentucky produces a lot of really amazing ham. If you've never had Colonel Newsom's ham, you should definitely check it out. Just like one of the only American women that have a ham hanging in the ham museum in Spain. But I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I've always imagined myself being an old lady with a smokehouse, like curing meat. (laughs) (laughs) I can honestly say that's, that's the first time we've had anybody on our show um, talk about curing meat as they're uh, learning something new. I love that. (laughs) I said, like I said, I'm totally obsessed with food, so I want to <laughs> learn how to preserve ham. <laughs> That's great. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time, and we learned so much um, from you and from the Lee Initiative today, and a lot of things that we can tie back to our work in healthcare. So um, we appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for sharing with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. Emily, I was really surprised by this interview. We reached out to Chef Ed Lee and the Lee Initiative to learn more about the world of hospitality. But what I was expecting from our conversation wasn't at all what I learned. I had no idea that this group has done so much to improve the lives of individuals in their industry and also in communities across the country. In addition, they are incredibly thoughtful about the preservation of culinary culture, and creating impactful, sustainable partnerships. Emily, you heard me. I was really just ready to talk about chili cheese dogs and (laughs) rosé and lawn pairings, and I'm sure you are so embarrassed by your podcast uh, partner. (laughs) I'm a little embarrassed uh, of myself. No, absolutely not. <laughs> However, I do know how how much you love your hot dogs. So I am glad that you at least got to talk about them in the end. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I completely agree. I had no idea that this group led by Lindsay was involved in so many incredible and far-reaching projects. I ended up learning so much more about partnerships and the value of caring for others and much less about food and wine, which I probably do need to learn a little bit more about. (laughs) We both know that that might help you just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) With my cooking. (laughs) So what did we learn and how does it apply to healthcare delivery? I think that it would be good to start by talking about the theme of mentorship. Lindsay began our interview discussing the role that mentors have played in her own career and then expanded on the role of mentorship within the Lee Initiative. What started as a response to the Me Too movement has turned into an incredibly successful program where female mentors and big name, James Beard, award-winning women who have risen the ranks, crush-worthy culinary mentors, have partnered with women who are line cooks and who are starting at the beginning With the help of the Lee Initiative, they are forming these incredible relationships and a sense of community that empowers and supports each other. I couldn't help but think about how wonderful it would be if we encouraged a formal mentorship program similar to this in the world of healthcare. 
I know for myself as a high school student in a small town in eastern North Carolina, I had absolutely no idea what leadership and nursing meant or where it could take me. And I have been really lucky to be inspired by these just absolute rock stars in my life that have guided my path. But I came about it organically. I didn't have any type of formal mentoring program. And Lindsay left me thinking about how wonderful it would be to directly connect these shining stars in our profession to future shining stars that are at the very beginning of their career. And I just wonder what impact that can make. Absolutely, Audra. You know, we talk about mentors so often, and although we understand the value, creating opportunities where there is easy access to learn from professionals that are doing things that are worthy of emulation, things that inspire and encourage, can really make all the difference. I think this can be incredibly impactful for individuals who are starting at the beginning of their career, but also equally as impactful for the mentor, although maybe in different ways. You just brought up a great point, Audra, about the Lee Initiative and how uh, they are supporting these mentors and mentees and helping create relationships and a sense of community that empowers those involved. I keep thinking about the beauty of this concept because supporting one another can be far more impactful than we even realize. If you take a step back, all of these connections and relationships benefit the individuals involved. But I continue to think, just like you, how this investment will ultimately support the future of the entire profession, one story or one relationship at a time. I think it would be wonderful just as you said a moment ago, if we could focus on creating accessible opportunities to learn from, support, and empower one another in healthcare. Lindsay's stories really made me stop and think about my own mentors and how I should continue to make more time to be a mentor for others. Really good points, Emily. I was also struck by the powerful partnerships that the Lee Initiative has established with, quite frankly, very large and maybe unexpected corporations, from Heinz to Makers Mark Bourbon to Audi Cars. Lindsay reminded us of the power of partnering with others to create a larger impact. I agree, Audra. I especially loved the story about the Audi partnership. It was an unexpected collaboration that ultimately ended up being necessary for distributing tons of food in the community. I just, I can't get over, I thought that was really, really amazing. Lindsay mentioned that Audi's focus has always been sustainability, that they put money into farm reboots, and then ultimately they bridged a transportation gap. Then there was Heinz Ketchup and Heinz Ketchup wanted to support Black-owned businesses and Black culture and aligned with similar interests of the Lee Initiative. So together, they've partnered to make a true difference in small Black-owned restaurants, many who have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID pandemic. And they've worked to preserve important culinary history in our country, which is amazing. It, it really is. I don't know if you've listened to the Black Kitchen series podcast, but I have. And most recently, actually, just um, 
a couple of days ago, listened to an episode about a seafood market in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, which obviously I loved, uh, but they really do an incredible job in this podcast series of telling uh, the stories and more importantly, sharing the culture of restaurants and owners. Emily, I think that my biggest takeaway from these partnerships, especially the Heinz and Lee Initiative partnership, is that the focus was on the community that they wanted to serve. And I just honestly thought it was so beautiful. These groups came together and basically said, what can we do to help and how can we support what you're doing? And I think I really paused. I don't know about you. When Lindsay said that they did that because so often in healthcare, we establish partnerships, but we lose our focus. You know, the focus can shift to corporate agendas or the newest and shiniest technology or the biggest grant award. But the stories of the people we serve and honoring those stories can sometimes get a little cloudy. And I just really loved the idea of partnerships that create impact, but that also put the people that they're serving first. Over and over again, whether it was the mentorship program, partnerships with Makers Mark, Audi, Heinz, or the many other initiatives Lindsay has been involved in, the theme was to go to the people and ask what they need. I just think we can learn from this in healthcare delivery, Audra. I think that whether it's with our colleagues, students, or communities that we serve, that we can all take something away from this. What if we switched our focus from this is what you need, or here's your medication, your exam, your mandatory continuing education that you must complete in two days, to (laughs) what is it that you need (laughs) and how can we help? I can't help but wonder what we would learn if we incorporated that concept into our day-to-day work. Whether it is through mentorship, through high-level mentorship, shining a clear path to empowerment and success on a grand scale, or just through the simple question of what do you need and how can I make this better? Lindsay taught me so much. I learned so much from this interview. And And really, as healthcare professionals, it left me thinking, what do we all need? Maybe it is something as simple as giving and receiving kindness. Maybe it is the feeling that you're making a positive change. Maybe it is improving the life of someone today. Or maybe it's being given the gift of having your life improved by someone else. I loved that Lindsay ended our interview leaving me thinking if my work is kind and if it is leaving our industry and world better than we found it. This podcast isn't about healthcare. It's about how we learn from the experience of others to make healthcare better. Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song, Rise, was composed and performed by Alex Crum. This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise Okay Shouldn't come as a surprise
Cause every morning we will rise